Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where we introduce you to interesting people and their inspiring stories. From Grace professors, current students, and distinguished alumni, to special guests and speakers on our campus, you can meet new people and hear how they are impacting the world around them. This podcast is recorded and produced at Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. This is the Grace Story Podcast, and I'm your host today, Nathan Harris, Vice President of Advancement here at Grace College and Seminary. A few episodes ago, we asked our listeners to share their tips for first-year students, and today we get to announce that winner. Tim Kazar actually gave us two tips. First one was to cultivate the love for learning because knowledge is never wasted, and two, everyone should take business management or accounting because they will offer universal principles for many areas in life. Tim, we want to thank you for messaging us and giving those tips for our students, and we'll be sure to connect and get you uh, to get your address to send you a Grace College mug. But today on the podcast, we have the blessing and privilege to have Dr. Jared Bumpers. Dr. Bumpers is the Assistant Professor of Preaching and Evangelism and for the Church Cohorts Faculty Coordinator at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Prior to joining the team at Midwestern in 2018, Jared served for over a decade as a student pastor, then as an associate pastor of preaching at a church in Southwest Missouri. He has also served as an interim pastor and has spoken at numerous conferences throughout the United States. Jared is the co-host of Preaching and Preachers, a podcast for those in ministry to help sharpen their call to preach and teach. Aside from his role at Midwestern Seminary, Jared also serves as associate pastor at Fellowship Church in Kansas City. Jared is passionate about preaching. More specifically, Jared is passionate about Christ-centered preaching, showing everyone how Jesus should be known and proclaimed from every page of our Bibles. In fact, Jared is currently contracted to write a book on Christ-centered preaching, explaining that because Jesus is the culmination of God's revelation, he should be the content of every single sermon. Jared holds a BS in pastoral ministry from Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, an MDiv from Luther Rice Seminary in Georgia, a THM in Biblical Studies from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary in Lynchburg, Virginia. Virginia, and a Ph.D. in Christian preaching from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. His doctoral research was primarily on the hermeneutic and homiletic of John Albert Broadus. Jared is married to his wife, Kimberly, and they have four children, McCartney, Rush, Maverick, and Jet. And to know Jared is to know a man who deeply loves Jesus and will use every opportunity he has to share the gospel. So I'm excited to have you here, Jared. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. There's no way I'm going to live up to that intro, but hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, Jared, I, I've, you know, I have the, had the blessing of knowing you for the last five plus years, um, being close friends, working in ministry together. Um, so I know a lot about you, a lot about your conversion and call, but our listeners don't. So I would love for you to yep. share, you know, your conversion and uh, ultimately your call to ministry. Yeah. So I grew up in church, you know, my dad is a pastor. And so my grandfather was actually a pastor. The, the legacy of really just faith in my family started with my grandfather. He was converted in his mid-30s from Grove Hill, Alabama, alcoholic, didn't know Jesus. His parents didn't know Jesus. Um, and a pastor knocked on the door and shared the gospel with him. And it's interesting, kind of a, a backstory. I know there's a, a tie-in here with Billy Graham, but the first time my grandfather heard the gospel, he came home drunk one night and sat down on the couch, turned on the TV, and Billy Graham was preaching a sermon on uh, the way of Cain. Hmm. And the Holy Spirit convicted him. He wasn't converted then, but the Holy Spirit convicted him, and that, that stuck with him. A pastor knocked on the door, shared the gospel with him multiple times. He was converted. A little bit later, felt called to ministry, so decided, decided to follow Jesus, 
decided to go into full-time ministry, moved to Jacksonville, Florida to go to Luther Rice Seminary. At the time, it was in Jacksonville. Now it's in Atlanta. So he went to seminary, took my dad. My dad was a boy. My dad was converted uh, in, after he graduated high school. Uh, well, this is not his story, but uh, he, he got kicked out of a Christian high school for smoking pot, and uh, my grandpa signed him up for the Air Force. And uh, dur- during that summer before he shipped out, he—, he you know, got on a conviction, uh, decided to trust Christ and was saved as well. So he surrendered to ministry uh, a couple years after that. And so growing up, I grew up in a pastor's home. My grandfather was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Uh, as a boy, my, my grandpa was my pastor. My dad served on staff with my grandfather for about 11 years. And so I grew up in the church, heard the gospel. My dad uh, moved to Mississippi, took his first position as a lead pastor. I uh, was a pastor in North Carolina for a while. Uh, been in Missouri since 2000. And so I grew up in a pastor's home, heard the gospel many times, understood the content of the gospel. So I could have rehearsed this as a child, and as a teenager, I could have rehearsed the core content of the gospel, you know, the character of God, creator and, and the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man and man's inability to, to earn salvation by doing good works. The, the personal work of Christ, Jesus is God's son. He lived a perfect life, down on the cross for our sins, arose from the dead, so that all who trust in him will receive eternal life, and then the proper response is repentance and faith. I could have shared those things with you, but there was never a, a moment where I saw myself as a sinner. And so uh, I like to say that prior to conversion, I was a uh, Pharisee of Pharisees, man, self-righteous, uh, prideful, so very religious, knew the Bible, disciplined, moral person, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so I got married when I was uh, uh, 20. My wife and I were, were pretty young. I was 20 years old between my sophomore and junior year of college. And that first year of marriage really exposed the sin and the selfishness and the pride in my heart. And so the, the first year of marriage was 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 really, really challenging. Um, and, and I say challenging. It was more challenging for my wife being married to somebody who's a jerk <laughs> than it was for me being married to her. But Jesus used that that and just her her having a hard time with, hey, you're not you're not loving me well, you're not not taking care of me well. And part of that was we both played basketball in college, but basketball and sports was uh, just such a, a time consumer for me, and I did not prioritize my wife like I should have. And so was converted. I mean, the Holy Spirit, man, convicted me, just kind of rubbed my nose in, in my sin and my failure as a husband. And for the first time, I really grasped the sinfulness of my own heart that, hey, externally, you're conforming to all these rules. You're a very religious person, but inter- internally, your heart, uh, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you have all of these hidden sins of the heart. And so even today, I'm, I am... I'm encouraged and challenged by the writing of people like Paul Tripp, who doesn't just talk about external behavior, but the heart and the motiva- motivations behind why you do what you do. Because mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm a disciplined person, was disciplined prior to conversion, but Tripp really gets to the heart of not just what you're doing, but why you're doing what you're doing. And so... Um, yeah, that's a long way for me to say I grew up in a Christian home, heard the gospel, but it really took uh, the, that first year of marriage and selfishness and just disruption in marriage to expose my sin and draw me to Christ. And so my wife would tell you now we've been married 18 years, four kids. Uh, it's amazing. She would say that that she's married to a different person than when we first got married um, just because Jesus internally changed my heart, dispositions, desires. So yeah, that's a short, short version of yeah. it. Well, what about your call to ministry specifically, though? So you have the, you know, yeah. the call to Christ, surrendered your life, submitted to His Lordship, but then you know, you grew up as a PK, 
uh, and, and a grand PK, I mean, yeah. in that, a couple generations <laughs> in. So what, what did that look like? Did you at any point want to run from that call? Yeah, that, this is so I feel like I have one of the one of the most unique testimonies in this regard. And it's taken a while for me to come to grips with this because I, as a, a teenager, I felt called, you know, I thought I was called to ministry. So this is prior, I'll say when I was 21. So prior to conversion, I felt this call to ministry. I went to college, went to a Bible college, you know, took the, I say sometimes it's a joke that I took, and it's not a joke though, it's true, but I took a class on soteriology before I became a Christian. It was like, I literally went to Bible college, took a, spent an entire semester studying the doctrine of salvation and didn't know Jesus and wasn't saved. And so went to Bible college, was studying to be a pastor, actually served my first interim pastorate. I served between my junior and senior year and was not a believer. And so again, I knew knew the information, could communicate biblical truth, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so after that interim pastorate, that that fall, trusted Christ, was saved, and I was going into my senior year, I was in my senior year, and trying to figure out, okay, well, I, I thought I was called to ministry. I wasn't even a Christian. What do I do now? I must not have been called to ministry. And so Follow the Lord and believers baptism after I trusted Christ. And then was like, okay, well, I'm just going to graduate and then I'll figure out what to do. I was playing basketball. I mentioned that earlier. I was playing basketball in college. And so I thought, well, I'll just finish my degree in uh, biblical studies and go get certified and I'll teach and coach. You know, I'll teach English, coach basketball. And about, th- well, about a, a week or two after I, I was converted, an older pastor who's retired, a member of our congregation, said, hey, I know, know this is weird, but just because you got saved doesn't mean you're not called to ministry. I've seen crazier things happen. Just pray. And so I, I prayed for about three months. I did not want to be a pastor at that point. I was embarrassed slash ashamed of the fact that I'd preached sermons and not been a Christian. Like, that that's a shameful thing. And so, uh, you know, William Tennant, The Dangers of an Unconverted Ministry, uh, the, the First Great Awakening, that sermon would have applied to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was embarrassed, ashamed, didn't, didn't want to be a pastor. Well, after praying for about three months, I really felt like the Lord was leading me to back to ministry. And so I spent another three months, like, trying to wrestle with God, like, are you sure I don't really want to do this? And... After about six, you know, six months post conversion, felt like the Lord affirming, yeah, you need to need to be in ministry, and so uh, surrendered. And like I, like you said, I, I did student ministry for nine years, then teaching pastor for two years. I've been serving it uh, on the preaching team and in an associate role at FKC for about two years as well. And then I've been at the seminary and, and preaching pretty pretty consistently for the last five and a half six years. So you you had the call to ministry, wrestled, prayed, wrestled, prayed. Yeah, and then eventually went into ministry, and pretty quickly. I mean, you were you were the youth pastor of uh, you know you were a youth pastor under your father, who's a yeah. senior pastor yeah. of a really healthy, growing um, church in Southwest Missouri. And you know, one of the things that I love hearing you talk about a lot is the call to youth ministry and mm-hmm. the importance of it. You know, uh, a lot of youth pastors see a youth pastorate kind of as a stepping stone or a holding period until they can move into yeah. an associate role or a senior role, and so consequently viewing your position like that, you don't take it as serious. Yeah. But I know you, your heart for, for youth ministry, you saw youth ministry as a calling and an opportunity to, to shape youth for Christ. So why don't you talk a little bit about just the role of the youth pastor and the importance of opening up the Bible week in and week out 
and proclaiming Jesus to the youth. Yeah, uh, so this is something that's uh, near to my heart, and so I'll try to uh, not not get too carried away here on this particular conversation. But uh, the the call to student ministry, like, or call to to youth pastor, or call to ministry in general, like, you're called. There are two offices in the New Testament. You know, pass, and I would say pastor, bishop, and elder. Those terms overlap; they're synonymous. And then the, the office of deacon. So when it comes to pastoral ministry, like a, a lead pastor, an associate pastor, a youth pastor, like the New Testament doesn't know a, a, a breakdown between a, a lead pastor and an associate pastor, youth pastor. And what I mean by that is, no matter what your responsibility is within the local church or what age group you're working with, you're first and foremost a pastor. And so, what is a pastor supposed to be? And what is the pastor supposed to do? And so we ground those things in Scripture. You know, you have your your list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Th- those things, we were talking about this yesterday, but those things focus on character, not giftedness. Mm-hmm. So I teach preaching. It's like in those both of those lists, the one ability or skill the guy needs to have is the ability to teach. And so... The rest of the, the the qualifications focus on character, which means, okay, if all of these qualifications are focusing on character, then character is important, mm-hmm. right? But the second takeaway is, okay, well, if the only ability that's mentioned is the ability to teach, then teaching and preaching is important. And so both of those things are true. Character matters, and the responsibility of the preacher to ri- and teacher to rightly handle the Word of God is, is huge. And so... I went into to student ministry and pastoral ministry thinking, God called me to be a pastor. And so, one, I need to make sure that I meet the qualifications of pastor, that I'm pursuing godliness and Christ-likeness as laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and then I need to make sure that I'm rightly handling the Word of God, right? I need to, to, to have the ability or cultivate the ability to teach. And so I would just say to those who are, who are thinking about student ministry, first and foremost, understand that you're called to be a pastor, and the particular demographic within the local congregation that you're dealing with are students. So you are the pastor who's who's primarily responsible for the students and also their 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 parents as well because there is some level of like student ministry is family ministry because you're not only working with the students, you should be working with the parents to help them disciple their children as well. Because I would also say the parents are the primary discipler or should be the primary discipler. Uh, of of their their children Deuteronomy six you know uh, Ephesians chapter chapter six you have these passages to talk about parents bringing their children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord to teach you know there's only one God teach your children these things when they rise up when they sit down Deuteronomy six and so uh, helping parents I used to say when I was a student pastor that my motto was the same as Home Depot's you can do it we can help right like you know moms dads disciple your children we're here to to help you and assist you in doing that but as a student pastor I've I viewed my job as one pastoral two is supplemental so helping parents uh, equip uh, their children but then three and this is what you mentioned like biblical okay I'm going to shepherd them I'm going to teach them the Bible I'm going to disciple them I'm going to point them to Christ I'm going to going to help equip their parents to disciple them but but when we would gather, whether it was small groups on Sunday morning, we had Bible studies in our house throughout the week, my wife and I did, and then we had a midweek service, and I started with about 40 students. And uh, I, I say this not as a... I uh, want to make sure that I'm, I'm careful here. This is not in me tooting my own horn. The church, church was growing. I was just happy to be, be a part of it. But I started with about 40 students at that midweek service uh, in 2007. And when I left in 2016, transitioned out of student ministry, we were running about 250 students. And all, all of God, all of grace... And you'll know that that's true because the way that I did student ministry, that midweek service, looked 
essentially like what you would see on a Sunday morning. We would meet. Uh, I didn't do like games or icebreakers. Or we would meet, sing a song. I'd welcome students. We'd sing two more songs. Our worship. One of our students was leading worship. He'd pray, and then I'd get up and preach the Bible for like forty-five minutes. And so uh, that was it. And I, my first, my first youth series was not like you know, you know how to get a girlfriend and and four weeks or, or, you know, whatever that <laughs> uh, my, I preached verse by verse through first John. That was my first sermon series. And so early on, I kind of, you know, drove my flag in the ground of like what these kids need. Like I'm the student pastor. What these kids need is to be pointed towards Christ. Yeah. And so start in first John uh, one, which says, you know, like it starts out that which we have seen, that's that which we have touched, uh, that which we have handled concerning the word of life. It starts with with Jesus and John saying, he was a real person. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. I heard him with my ears. And so, yeah, right out of the gate, it was preach the Bible, point them to Jesus. He forgives sins. He changes hearts and lives, point them to Christ. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's in a nutshell. I love it. M- my approach to student ministry. I love it. I, and I know, you know, the listeners as they're as they're hearing this, um, not just picking up your enthusiasm or hearing your enthusiasm, but it's an infectious enthusiasm. So I'm hoping everyone's excited to continue in ministry uh, through that. One thing I want to talk about is, well, let me rephrase that. We could talk about ministry um, preparation all day. You know, you're a professor at a seminary. Um, equipping and training future pastors, ministry leaders, missionaries, evangelists, et cetera. Grace, we are here uh, from our college to the seminary, training future pastors, ministry leaders, evangelists, um, you know, across the board. So preparedness, we're behind it. We love it. It's our calling. It's what we do. But one of the things that I think we miss often in talking about preparedness is talking about the next step is readiness. Mm. And it's, it's not just filling your head with knowledge, but it's when that red light turns to green, are you ready to go, and are you ready to take the next step? So one of the things that I, I you know, I was thinking of as I was writing these questions was um, reflecting on you as not just a godly man, but like a, a you know, one of my favorite preachers uh, to listen to, is you are extraordinarily gifted in readiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Paul uh, exhorts Timothy to be ready in season and out of season, yep. and I, I've seen you in season and out of season ready to preach. And I can recall a time a couple of years ago, we're at a conference uh, that you know the seminary we were at was hosting, you were headlining, you were emceeing, and you had preached a sermon, and there was a, a handful of other you know pastors getting ready to preach, and one fell ill, so ill that he couldn't speak. <laughs> uh, and we're all sitting around going, this is the closing sermon What's going to happen? And it was like that Spurgeon moment where, you know, when he was a teen, someone was like, brother, if you don't preach, no one will. And like, you just kind of were like, all right, give me 15 minutes. And you went to your office, you hammered out an outline, you came out and you preached and you did so joyfully, competently, um, coherently, (laughs) and you gave everyone the gospel. So why don't you talk about, because this is one of the things I know it's on your heart as you're training students, is not just the preparation, but the readiness. Yeah. Like, how can we be ready for ministry? Yeah, the that story is somewhat legendary. It sounds cooler than it was. Man, at the moment, I was sweating it, obviously. I'd already preached, and so, you know, I, I, I'd prepared to preach the passage that I did, and then the, the other speaker ended up get, getting ill and not being able to preach, and so 
like you said, I, I didn't have a whole lot of time. The thing that saved me was that I'd preached that particular book through that book, verse by verse, twice before. And so it had been years, but but I kind of had in the back of my mind, okay, I have some level of familiarity with this book. I just got done preaching an earlier section. And then the, the kicker was it's the best section in the entire book. I mean, so it was the doxology, verses 24 and 25 of, of the book of Jude. And so, man, getting those verses... And the passage I'd preached before was the uh, warning passage against the false teachers. So to go from that to, to the doxology, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his, of his uh, glory with great joy. Um, man, yeah, that was an easy transition. I was like, let's go. So, so I was excited. But I think, one, having, having studied it before, like being able to pull on prior preparation helps. And so there's some level of experience where um, – Man, you, you've done something for so many years that, that you're able to to just, when, when the time comes, you're able to step in and do it. That's part of it. And so I would just say as far as readiness goes, like the way to get ready is to take every opportunity that you can to develop and craft those skills so that when the opportunity arises, you're ready to step into the moment and meet the challenge. Hmm. Uh, the, you mentioned earlier, I wrote my dissertation on a guy named John Broadus, and he has a statement where he says the best way to prepare preachers, the best way to learn to preach is to preach, to actually do it is what he's saying. And so I think for those who are, who are studying in preparation, especially in this context, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Grace College and Seminary, Midwestern Seminary, like one of the best things that you can do is go get ministry reps. And it doesn't always look like preaching in a church on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it looks like uh, leading a Bible study, teaching children in a nursery, speaking at a nursing home. It looks at a lot of different ways. But if you will take every one of those moments seriously, it, it will it will benefit you in the long run. Mm. Even when I think about preaching, like I I served as an inner pastor for for ten months, so I got a lot of reps underneath my belt there. And, and even then, um, the the congregation there's like sixty people, right? And so it, I'm not preaching at. I mean, I end up by the grace of God at a church that grows. And, you know, before I moved to seminary, I'm preaching regularly to 2,000 people. Well, then it start there. Most guys, when they think about preaching, it's like, oh, if I can be at a big church and preach to this many people, that will be amazing. But the way that if the Lord leads, and that's not the Lord's will for every person, but if the Lord is moving you that way, the only way that you end up in a position like that is if you're faithful in other positions mm-hmm. that are less noticeable. And so those those hidden, uh, unobserved, small moments where you have opportunities to teach and to preach, if you will be diligent and study and prepare and cultivate skills in those moments, then oftentimes the Lord will open up opportunities to do other things. Not not yeah. always, again, yeah. uh, we, we can't discern the Lord's will and where he puts every person. And you know this as, as well as I do. I, I came to the seminary from a larger church, but if I were to leave uh, the seminary and go back, like my, my ideal or dream position is not to go be a pastor again at a 2,000-member church. Like my dream position is let me go pastor 120 people in the middle of, of nowhere, uh, just some rural area where I can just love people and preach the Bible. Yeah. Like, I mean, because ministry is about the people. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of kind of rambling a little bit here on that question, but it's fresh on my mind because I get asked by students. Um, I get asked this question by students of like, okay, what does it look like for me to take the next step or get the next position? Or I want to be at a big church and younger, you know, younger men in particular, you know, who are called a pastoral ministry, but you know, uh, women who are called to lead, you know, in whatever uh, spheres they are, 
sometimes they have this, amb- which can be a good thing, this ambitious drive to be something or to have a position. And I try to, to often tell them what you need to do, especially the guys, is just fall in love with pastoral ministry and the responsibilities themselves. Mm-hmm. Like fall in love with preparing a sermon, fall in love with counseling people, fall in love with hospital visits, because it doesn't matter if you have 20 people, 200 people, or 2,000 people, you're still going to have to get in your office and prepare a sermon, no mm-hmm. matter how many people are sitting there listening. You're still going to have to make hospital visits, whether there are 20, 200, or 2,000 people in your church. And so the, the responsibilities, the tasks of pastoral ministry are the same. Mm-hmm. And so fall in love with those things and... Take every opportunity you can behind the scenes while you're young, gaining experience yeah. so that when the opportunities come, you're, you're ready to meet them. And I only shared one thing there, but I've talked yeah. enough there. Well, Sorry. Re- you know, what I'm hearing you say, ministry readiness is about steadfast faithfulness to what yep. the Lord has called you to do in all spheres. Yep. Um, you know, and I love, you know, hearing you talk about this. Uh, you know this topic particularly because you're, you're always touching on the that piece of faithfulness, but also just knowing your heart and who you are. You know the key to ministry preparedness is being in the Word, yeah. And the key to ministry readiness is being in the Word, yeah. Like you're able to do what you do because you're consistently, faithfully yep. putting your head down, opening the Bible, and communing with with the Lord. Well, Jared, let me put a uh, let me put the ball on the tee here for <laughs> you, and and or or lob you a softball here. I've I've known you, you know, as I've already said for for many years now. We've shared multiple meals, hundreds, if not more, cups of coffee. We've talked about everything under the sun. You and I both know what each other nerds out on when yeah. it comes to academics. Um, but I want you to to get a little animated and enthusiastic here as, <laughs> as you talk about Christ-centered preaching, particularly. Can you share with us in like two to three minutes, I'm putting a time limit <laughs> on you, good, good. On, Smart. Uh, on what Christ-centered preaching is and why is it so important? Yeah, it's great. Uh, before I answer that, yes, we've shared a lot of coffee together, a lot of meals together. If I was going to ask you a question to nerd out, it would be something about uh, conjunctions and coherence and cohesion and the book of Hebrews. But uh, we won't, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> yeah, that's another podcast. Today, that's another podcast. Uh, today we'll talk about Christ Center preaching. I'll do this fast. I mean, I think, I don't think I'm convinced that. Uh, preachers should commit to preaching Christ in every single sermon. I think you see this in uh, the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes and he shows up as a preacher. Mark 1, 14, you know, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus comes, he's a preacher proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the kingdom has arrived. I'm the Messiah, repent and trust me. So he's calling people to faith in him. Then, then he teaches his disciples to read the Bible and interpret the Bible in a way that points to him. Luke 24, everybody loves Matthew 28 and Matthew's Great Commission. I do too, but I think Luke is my favorite. In Luke 24, where he commissions his disciples, first he shows up to uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he tells them, uh, you know, uh, slow of heart, you know, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets. And uh, he rebukes them, and, and he says, didn't you know that the Messiah must first suffer and then enter into his glory? So he's pointing back to the Old Testament saying, hey, you know the Messiah is coming. And in the Old Testament, it says that he's going to suffer first, then he'll, then he'll enter his glory. Then, then a couple of verses later, he goes up into the upper room, sees his disciples, and you know they, they touch him, and he, he says, it's me. And then he begins to teach them, and, and he says 
something similar. You know, didn't you know that, that all these things had to, to happen to, to fulfill the law of Moses and the prophets and the writing? So threefold division of the Old Testament, I could go on it for all day. I'm not going to, but threefold division of the Old Testament. And then he says, and it says, and Luke says, he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. So he says, all three major divisions of the Old Testament point to me. Then he teaches him to interpret the Bible. And then he says, uh, Didn't you know the Messiah uh, would uh, suffer and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be preached at the ends of the earth beginning in Jerusalem? And so he's saying, hey, you're going to go out. The the scriptures predicted this, right? The prophecies in the Old Testament are true. I'm fulfilling them. I suffered. I'm entering into my glory. The kingdom of God has arrived, and you're going to go out and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? According to the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, as Jesus dies and rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. Paul, Paul so, so you get past that. You get into the book of Acts. I'm trying to move quickly here. Acts 2, <laughs> Peter preaches. What does he do? He preaches Christ, right? I mean, he he cites Joel 2, Psalm 16, from the Old Testament. and Psalm 110 mm-hmm. from the Old Testament and says, hey, the Holy Spirit, Joel 2, is being poured out on you right now. That's what you're witnessing, and we're preaching the gospel to you. Psalm 16, he's not going to uh, allow his, his uh, flesh to see corruption. He's going to raise him from the dead. Psalm 110, the enemies are his footstool. God has exalted him. Jesus is a crucified but resurrected and is exalted Messiah. They're convic- convicted, convinced, repent, and be baptized, he says. So, mm-hmm. so he calls him to repent and trust Christ and to demonstrate that by being baptized. Then, then you get on to, to Acts 3 and 4, Solomon's portico. What does Peter do? He preaches Christ. You get into, into Paul's sermons in Acts. Acts 13, Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? He's preaching Christ. Acts 17, 17 Mars yeah. Hill. What's he doing? He's going to Christ. Some people say, well, you know, Acts 17, Mars Hill, you know, he's more rhetorical. He starts with their prophets. Uh, I don't think that's what's happening. Again, don't have time for all of this, but he's drawing language from Isaiah 40, 41, and yeah. 42. So all the themes are drawn from that section of Isaiah about the servant who yep. dies and rises, right? And so that's where he's going, and he preaches Christ at the back end, that's when they don't, we don't hear him when he starts talking about the resurrection from the dead. And Paul himself, when he describes his ministry, he tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.2, I made up my mind to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. He tells the church of Colossae, Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim, warning and admonishing every man that we may present every man mature in Christ. So, so his approach to ministry is preaching Christ. So, so you see that in the, the ministry of the apostles, we see it in Jesus, ministry of the apostles, the apostle Paul, even the book of Hebrews, which is your specialty, but I would argue that it's a sermon, it's sermonic, it's described as a word of exhortation, which is the same phrase that's used in Acts 13 to describe what Peter's doing, or what Paul's doing in Acts 13 when he stands up in the synagogue and preaches. And when you look at Hebrews, like, no one's going to look at Hebrews and say, well, that's not Christ-centered, right? Yeah. I mean, Jesus is better, he's better than, than the angels, he's better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Melchizedek, Jesus is better, on and on. So Joshua, it focuses David, on, temple, yeah, just priests, boom, boom, yep. boom, 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 just over and over. Jesus is better. And so as a Christian, when it comes to preaching, I think we hold up Christ as the hope for sinners who don't know Christ to come to faith, to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and for Christians to grow in sanctification. The gospel is the key, not just to justification being declared righteous, but in sanctification being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, and I'm done. <laughs> in, first, er, in 2 Timothy 4, you mentioned this in the be ready in season, out of season, but, but 2 Timothy 4, 1, uh, Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he says, I charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ, who's to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. And so oftentimes we hear that and we think of expositional preaching, preach the word. 
And so that just means preach whatever that you know, preach what the text says. And I'm an advocate for expositional preaching. We should preach the text, uh, what the text says, as the text says it. But if you go back and read the the end of chapter three. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the word of God, you preach the word, chapter four, why? Because it's inspired, it's the word of God, God mm-hmm. breathed it out, and it's profitable. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit in chapel this morning. Uh, the, the word of God is profitable for those who are listening, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And the result is that the man of God is mature, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Christian receives the word and is prepared to do whatever God has called them to do. And so the word of God preached is for believers. But right before that, Paul tells Timothy, Mm -hmm. you've known the scriptures from your youth, which are able to make you wise to salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at preaching the word in 4.2, we should go back and say, okay, when I preach the word, it should be done in such a way that it's able to make people wise to salvation. So so conversion, uh, gospel proclamation, calling people to faith in Christ and preaching the word in such a way that it calls believers to be conformed to the image of Christ and complete or mature, equipped for every good word. Yeah. So what you're saying, Genesis to Malachi, we see Jesus. Yeah, and I could do, I could go through every, and I'm not kidding, I could go off the cuff through every one of those books and show you how it points to Christ. Yeah. We won't do that in this podcast, yeah. but I could. It's that's all an, about that's Jesus. another podcast that we'll yep. schedule for you, but I, I, I mean, I love <laughs> that. I absolutely love that. I have two questions for you. One one is uh, much quicker than the other, so we'll, we'll end with that one. But you know, you, you're uh, co-hosting a um, you know great podcast with the president of Midwestern Seminary, Dr. Jason Allen, uh, preaching and preachers. Um, you know, I've I've listened to countless episodes. You guys, you know, bringing in incredible pastors, uh, professors, and asking them deep questions. And I know you, you're a lifelong learner. So even as you have a PhD in preaching, what what has been something that you've learned over the last couple of months if you, as you've recorded podcasts and you've interviewed people that you're like, man, I love that and I want to apply that in, in how I prepare for preaching, how I execute preaching, and how I teach? Yeah, man, that's that's tough because there are there are a lot. You know, there are a lot of things that come to mind. I think the first thing that popped to mind is an interview that I did, and this is this is just because I thought it was fascinating. I did a did an interview with uh, Mitchell Chase, a, a professor at a, a pastor and a professor at another um, Southern Baptist seminary, and we were talking about typology and allegory, and one of the things that he he mentioned was the. And I've always I've always and you hear church members ask this, but I've always wondered, okay, what's going on in the Gospels when uh, uh, we know that John the Baptist is is fulfilling this role, this Elijah type role that's described in the Old Testament in Malachi. Um, but what's up with his his clothes? You know, why is he wearing you know this this camel hair, a leather leather girdle? Why is he eating honey and locusts? Like, what's the significance of those things? Like, and you could say, well, they're just incidental or descriptive. But why would the author include those things if they don't have some some significance or they're not communicating something? And so, as we were talking, he he made a comment, and I, I'd heard before, like the attire, you know. The prophets Elijah is described wearing these types of things: camel hair, leather belt. Mm-hmm. So he's he what he's wearing is reminiscent of what the prophets of old were mm-hmm. wearing. But what about the honey and the locust? What's up with his weird diet? And he said, "Now I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I can prove this 100." percent He's like, "But if you look biblically in the Old Testament, what what does what does honey represent? 
right? Or what do you think of when you think about honey? So he goes to the Old Testament and says, you know, the land of Israel, this land flowing with milk and what? Milk and honey. honey. It's, a, it's a picture of God's provision and goodness to his people. So go, well, what about locusts? What do you think of when you think about locusts? You have the 10 plagues and the locusts. You have yeah. Exodus and God's judgment. What about Joel, right? Joel chapter one, this, this uh, army of locusts who come in, they devour everything. Locusts are a symbol of God's judgment. And so he says, not only is, is Elijah wearing the prophetic attire, but he, th- what's in his mouth, what he's eating is the prophetic message, one of blessing and one of judgment. And if you read the prophets, those are the two things they're preaching, judgment and blessing. You've rebelled, you've broken the covenant, you've sinned against God, and judgment is coming. But the prophets also point to this future day where God will keep his promises and he's faithful and will bless his people. And so even recently, just, just us talking through that, it was like, let's go. Yeah. So yeah. I was gonna say, if you want to give an altar call right now <laughs> on the podcast for any listeners driving, I'm sure you know, some hearing that message uh, of blessing and judgment, man, what a you know. What a great opportunity we have to look at God's word and to see connections that are intertextually driven from Old yeah. Testament to New Testament and ultimately point us to, uh, to the person and work of Christ. Man, I love yeah. that. I love that. So a question we often do get, and we've been asking on the podcast now, is if our listeners wanted to reach out, if they wanted to contact you, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think the easiest way is probably just to email me. My email is jbumpers at mbts.edu. So jbumpers at mbts.edu. And uh, I check check my email frequently and try try not to go more than 48 hours without responding. So um, unless you all flood me with your uh, emails, which I don't anticipate, I should be able to respond pretty quickly. And so if somebody wanted to you know, uh, invite you to come out and, and preach at church or or, you know, conference or um, church gathering, that's the best way to, yep, to get a hold of that's me. That's the best way to get a Fantastic. hold of me, yeah. Well, Jared, man, we're so grateful that you're here with us today. So um, thankful that you're spending time with us here in beautiful Winona Lake, and we're excited to have you pre- preaching in our chapel. But thank you to everyone for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Thanks to Rick and Avery for their work in producing this podcast. Do us a favor and like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast so others can discover us and be inspired as well. Do you have questions, comments, or jokes you'd like to share with us? We want to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at grace.edu. Until next time, live your best grace story today. Thank you.